This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Total Saints Podcast. We're the dedicated weekly podcast going to the heart of all things saints. Yes, hello, my name is Ben Stanfield. I'm the host of Total Saints Podcast and I'm here on my own this week. I've not got any script either. I thought I'd go a, a little ad hoc, but I hope you're keeping well and safe wherever you are around the world. Uh, thank you for listening to the podcast. Of course, there's no football at the moment, but we are still hoping to try and give you regular content between now and the Premier League returning. And uh, I think we're all missing Saints a lot. Any ideas or questions that you have uh, that you'd like us to try and cover off or, as I say, any suggestions around podcasts that we might consider doing in the meantime, then please do let us know either via email, which is totalsaintspodcast at yahoo.com, by uh, messaging us or tweeting us through Twitter at Total Saints Pod, or by uh, commenting or uh, sending us a direct message through Facebook. You can find us at Total Saints Podcast on there as well. Likewise, if you just want us to give you a break and give you a rest for a few weeks, then uh, let me know that as well, and I'll make sure that we uh, do take the uh, pod off for a little bit and uh, give everyone a breather until Saints return. This episode, delighted to say that uh, Adam Blackmore, the Radio Solent sports editor, comes on to have a chat about some of his memories following Saints, joining Radio Solent, etc. Been trying to get Adam on the pod for a little while now, but delighted to finally have a chat and uh, talk to him in uh, you know this extended interview that's just coming up. What I would say is uh, to our patrons, just finally thank you again for your ongoing support we really do appreciate it i don't necessarily think it's uh, the right thing to be um, asking for money at the moment from you uh, around the world bearing in mind everything that's going on so what we'll not be doing is taking uh, any uh, fees for our podcast until the football is back so anything that we provide between now and saints returning will be free of charge and uh, as i say very very much appreciate you all uh, supporting the podcast as you do let's get on with it then in partnership with saints archive and uh, saintsworld.co.uk sponsored by happy hottubs.co.uk this is tsp 107 
Okay, it's March. What happy hot tub offer can we come up with for our lucky customers this month? Well, we could do nothing for a change. I like it. I think we do so many deals. Nothing. No deposit, no interest, nothing. What? No, no, I mean... It's perfect. All through March, you can buy any hot tub from Happy Hot Tubs with no deposit and three years interest-free finance. You deserve happy at happyhottubs.co.uk Excludes free throw range. See website for details. Bobby Stokes. Hit well. Oh, he's there. Stokes has put Southampton in the lead. A great break there for Southampton. And they're all off that Southampton bench. Pinty out to this near flank. What a back cross. Bad! 2-0. And we're now completing the great escape. Thanks to a man called Marion. Just a minute to play. Here's Letizia. It's time for the latest Total Recall, as in partnership with Saints Archive, we reflect on our favourite yesteryear Saints-related players, connections, matches and memories. Now, over the last 15 years as Saints fans, we've had many wonderful goals to enjoy from many wonderful players. We've had many wonderful wins to celebrate, delivered by many wonderful and some less so wonderful managers. We've seen back-to-back promotions, a Wembley win and European football. One constant voice throughout all of that, keeping us on the edge of our seats each and every match day, has been BBC Radio Solent's dedicated sports editor, Adam Blackmore. So in this episode of Total Recall, we're delighted to welcome the man behind the mic along for a chat. Adam, thanks so much for giving up some of your time. We're really grateful to you uh, for joining us. No, it's nice. I know uh, you've been doing well with it, so it's nice to, to finally come on. <laughs> no, brilliant. So uh, great. Well, as, as I mentioned, May 2004, you originally joined Radio Salem, Adam, mm. almost 16 years ago. Um, previous to that, you were in the other Hampton, Northampton, working as sports editor at BBC Radio Northampton, where you'd spent five years having moved from the West Midlands. Um, yeah. It sounds like the type of question we'd ask some of the ex-players that come on, but what was it about the move to Radio Salem that you remember and the opportunity that's appealed to you? Well, funnily enough, and it's always been slightly weird to me that I've ended up working closely with two clubs whose nickname are Saints, <laughs> and one a Northampton and one a Southampton, which I never planned, of course. It's just weird how life works out sometimes. But I'll be honest with you. I first went for the job in 2002. And when I first went for it, I obviously looked at the, the region and the teams. And I also had a, a vested personal interested in the area because actually I got to know the area when my parents owned a a caravan near New Milton so in the summers I'd be bringing my kids down for free holidays (laughs) when I could and during that first uh, attempt I think around 2001-2 I ended up going to a charity football match at New Milton and Latisse was playing and Strachan and people like that and Tony Husband and Kevin James and I got to meet them all in the bar afterwards over a pint and I'd obviously bumped into some of them during my work with other stations so and they made me feel very welcome and we got on well so of course when I went for the job they were like oh good go for the job sort of thing and I didn't get it and uh, 18 months later or something like that maybe the man who got the job instead of me rightly so was a guy called Mark DeMuth who went on to be in charge of football for ITV that's Mm -hmm. how good he was and he was more of a pure producer and this was in the times when the BBC hadn't gone through all the stringent cuts we've actually gone through two or three times in the last 12, 14 years. So he was almost a luxury, if you looked at it now. Someone who didn't go on air, but just, you know, ran the show and was editorially very strong and great with contacts. Mm. And, of course, it's, it's, some, it's a sort of role you could ill afford to have now in this climate. 
So he got it, and then he went. So I went for the job again. And uh, I didn't get it then, <laughs> believe it or not. The woman in charge of the station at the time gave it to somebody from commercial radio, uh, but made me an also candidate, as in if he didn't get it, I would, which is how the, some BBC job things work. Mm. So I got a phone call saying... Um, sorry, you haven't got the job. And I was mortified because I felt I was much better prepared two years later. And then, of course, I think probably half a day or a day later, I got another phone call saying, I know you didn't get the job, but would you like the job? <laughs> so I ended up saying yes. And then I ended up moving the whole family down and they lived their whole lives in Melbourne. So it was a big move for all sorts of reasons. Yeah. And lived the first few months in that caravan while we started the house out, which was interesting with three sons all having to go to school. Yeah. I mean, we were lucky enough to catch up. I managed to pin down uh, Grant Coleman last year, so we had a chat to him. And, of course, he was mm. very much from the analogue generation, uh, yes. Grant was. From your point of view, Adam, obviously the digital generation has grown up around all of us over the last, uh, you know, that period that you've been at the sports editor. So how's that impacted radio specifically in the work that you and your team undertake? Um, I would say it's been a double-edged sword, mm. to be honest. My own personal view is that we, as a business, as in the BBC, has probably spent so much energy and resource into becoming digitally as good as we are that actually at times it's felt like radio wasn't important. Yeah. And yet when I look at now, say, our listening figures, which are very good, and the relationship we have on the ground with fans and our clubs and stakeholders and people that just bump into us, I don't think you can replicate that with digital formats. I don't think live commentary is replaceable. I certainly have never watched a text commentary in my life. And I know we do a lot of it, as we see, and so do other people, and I'm sure some people appreciate that. But for me, the digital thing has been great to actually, I mean, you know, obviously I use Twitter. I don't use Facebook and the very other things. So that way of connecting with people outside of the radio has really enhanced what we do on the radio. Yeah. Uh, but there have been times, like I said, when, the BBC or we have been told to do stuff that's irrespective of the radio, mm. standalone stuff. And now the policy's changed back to, oh, well, we should link stuff to what we do on the radio, which I've been screaming ever since the start. Because at the end of the day, we should be always trying to send people between the two and grow an audience, whichever way you try and do it. So it's sort of come back to my way of thinking more recently, which is good. Um, and I'm not being a dinosaur about it. I just think my Twitter feed is me personally. Yes, in my work position, I do have to be careful sometimes when I tweet, but I'd rather be myself on that. And then, of course, when I'm at work, it's a slightly different gig. So they do work yin and yang. They can complement each other, and they should. Look, we know Solent have a committed service, as you just mentioned there, to all the South Coast clubs, but I guess purely focusing on Saints, Adam, that's obviously your bread mm -hmm. and butter. Um, mm -hmm. as, as a relatively unfashionable Premier League side, do you still feel that sort of sense of responsibility even 16 years later, you know, and making sure you kind of get to the heart of all the stories in and around St Mary's and, and Staplewood? Because, I mean, there's not many quiet days around, and us fans kind of rely on you, particularly now Little Adam's gone. Yeah, I know. I missed Little Adam earlier. He was terrific for the city, and people won't necessarily realise it till years to come. Um, but I feel more of a responsibility mm. now than, than ever. And yet my, my thoughts of it has changed. I honestly don't like creating a story like you get in certain parts of the media, especially when you look at the coronavirus at the moment. People, yeah. The media is sort of creating things that actually our job is to report on them. I've stopped doing tittle-tattle and rumours. I don't do it on Twitter or anything. I don't see the point. You can look and ask. And I know much, much of the media doesn't care. If they look at us, they'll say, 
27,000 transfer fees in the month of January and two might be right. So it's changed how I do it. So I would just want people to think, well, if I say that, I probably know what I'm talking about because I'm not also spewing out a load of rubbish alongside it. So I'd rather do that, have relationships that last and I'm trusted because for you to understand, I'm not a tabloid. Mm. I can't go into the club, smash it one week about something if I'm not sure it's true and then expect them to be helpful to me in the future. So I have to balance, and it doesn't mean I'm not objective, it doesn't mean I won't have an opinion, but I'm not going to run rubbish at the risk of my relationship with the people I work with. Mm. So I, I want a player to be able to talk to me off the record and know he's talking to me off the record. Same with people in the boardroom, same with fans, same with everything. You know, I would not want anyone to abuse my trust and I wouldn't abuse theirs. And I think over the long term, if you look at the last 15 years, especially the last 10 with Saints, that has benefited me. Mm. So I think uh, it doesn't do any harm, but I'm not a, a glory hunting, headline grabbing. That doesn't, that's not what floats my boat as a journalist. Yeah. Um, I know you often talk about how exciting and varied your role as sports editor is. Um, bearing in mm. mind, we often see the amount of effort that you do put in, you know, week in, week out. Can it be equally as draining still? I'm lucky. I, I don't feel drained very often. Most drained was during the Europa League campaign because there was so much travel involved yeah. and I really appreciated what it actually means for a team and a club to have to play like that week in, week out and uh, the logistics that go with it and everything else and actually how tiring it is doing that. But I don't often feel drained. I'm lucky enough to, to enjoy my work. I have good people around me. It's a good environment on the sports desk. Mm. My work generally can actually galvanise me more than it drains me. Yes, no one wants to drive back from Newcastle after a 5.30 kickoff on a Saturday. But uh, if that's as bad as it gets, and I've done some jobs because I was late into broadcasting that were far more stressful, uh, for far less money, uh, far more demanding circumstances, then I'm, I'm trying not to complain. We often see your detailed pre-match notes. Um, how much preparation do you put in for each Saints match? And I, I guess I was going to sort of follow on just to ask about, you know, your relationship with the BBC, whether you speak to other colleagues as part of your intel, you know, across the country. So, say, BBC Merseyside before we were going to play Liverpool to get a bit of a lowdown. Um, I don't actually do that very often, that latter thing about speaking to the stations. I know this sounds odd, but for instance, if we were a one-club station, mm. like, say, Radio Leicester, then they always do a show about Leicester City midweek and they ask me to go on there when they play Saints. But we've got a number of clubs we try and share the time with and actually I don't feel the need very often or we don't have the time between two and three o'clock on a Saturday, for instance, to actually fit in all our stuff and worry about what the other half is saying or the other station. And it's not us being looking down at the other stations. It's actually just, I think, what the priorities are on air editorially if you're driving to the game, Ben, yes, you will have a passing interest in Bournemouth and Pompey because you're from the south and for different reasons on both clubs. Yeah. But you're not going to really care what somebody from BBC Yorkshire might think about yeah. their opponent that day. So if I've only got time for certain things, then it's going to be my league clubs and my non-league clubs. So they do stuff like that sometimes with us, but we don't generally do a lot. As for the prep for a game, um, the essence of that isn't to come out with lots of colours so it looks good on Twitter and to do that. It, the essence of it is that I do it in a way that means the majority of what I write stays in my head because I, I can't do it on a computer. It's just not the way my memory retains. I spent probably between four and six hours hmm. um, a game yeah. if, if, of concentration. And that will be generally 
updating my own ongoing uh, things that I've spotted if somebody hasn't scored for however long and so on. Looking at the history of matches between the clubs for quiet moments. But I'll be honest, I would reckon during those commentaries, if the game's good, I'd be surprised if I use 30% of what I write. Mm. Because actually, a lot of it's there as a comfort blanket for myself. What I'd want to do is go on air feeling confident and good and not worrying about being caught out. You know, if somebody hasn't scored and they, they're an attacking player and they haven't scored for 15 games, I want to know that. Yeah. As long as I've got some key things down that I think are key for one player or, or whatever or another player, then I, I feel like I can go on air, relax and be on the front foot and actually what I want is to deliver the commentary for you lot with pace yeah. and uh, with enthusiasm and not be looking down at notes going, oh, 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 well, oh, and then just reading them out for the sake of them. Because yeah. at the end of the day, I, I'm a conduit and, and that's it's not my job to say to you, oh, look at me, I've done 72 snaps today because <laughs> frankly, it's a bit boring. So yeah. I'd rather have a laugh with Dave or, or have a discussion about something to do with the team when the game is rubbish yeah. than actually just pour out stats. So I do a lot of them for my own benefits that I feel better about myself when I'm yeah. and I pick the mic up. Yeah, I mean, you obviously mentioned the the legend that is Big Dave there. Um, you know, obviously we all we all adore him. Um, you know, over the years, I mean, that's obviously proven a perfect commentary partnership. Yeah, I've been very lucky like that. I mean, we just hit it off as soon as we met and we share a passion for football and a passion for life which I think means, you know, you could get two similar characters who actually rub up against each other, but we don't. We sort of energise each other. Yeah. And uh, he's a very positive man. He's obviously a very religious man as well. So he's a good role model for me as an individual, actually. When we drive for hours in games, he's, he's standards are high. Uh, and even though he is, you know, 75 now, yeah. I'm lucky that no one ever comes up to me and says, oh, Dave's too old now. He doesn't sound like, you know, doesn't sound like... He has kept up with the game brilliantly. He still has more vitality and enthusiasm than most men half his age. And of course, what keeps his credibility is the way he sees things in a game. And people should never underestimate that. Yes, we love him for his phrases that he'll say and so on. But actually, he spots something skillful. He spots a a defensive error. He spots when shoulders aren't right way and players are caught square. He knows why games are going wrong and he calls it. And, and so often he's been proved right that people now realise he is right. And actually, yeah. he's probably the best. I don't think there's a better summariser in radio anywhere. Like him, for me, maybe Pat Nevin mm. and him are right up there. Uh, there are a few, that, apart from those two, that spot things like those two do. And I think he's, I think he's brilliant. And I think also we're lucky to have good summarisers because uh, you know they've both got great characters. And Guy, being an FA coach, is also terrifically good. So we have a really good standard, and Dave um, is as good as anything out there. I think. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, one thing we always treasure is, of course, your brilliant and passionate commentary alongside the Saints' goals that you know we have scored and we'll, we'll score in the future. And we all know that you're a diehard Aston Villa fan, uh, Adam. But of course, <laughs> you know, clearly it brings you as much enjoyment after all these years seeing Saints play well and obviously winning as well. I mean, it's, you, you, essentially you've become one of us, right? Yeah, I mean, and I think if you're authentic. Look, you can't work with people or a club or staff at a club and everything and, then, and just pretend to be something. That's just not really, I'm not faking it. It's not, it's not my job to pretend to sound interested and excited. I am because you, you form a bond. You know, you work with these people for years and years. You work with the clubs. I want all my clubs to be successful because, mm. frankly, it makes the job easier. <laughs> but, but also, it might be less stories, but it, always, uh, it, it makes the job easier. 
And at the end of the day, I came into this without a qualification at the age of 28 because of my passion for sport, mm. not because I wanted to create bulletins and stories and clips and stuff. That comes with it, and you, you learn to be a journalist, but it comes from a, a love of the sport, mm. so which I've always had. So, yes, I'm a, I'm a, my whole family are asked into the sport as my mum, and that's how I became one, and so on, and my kids, because they've got no choice, like you know, any saint's parents' kids do. So, it's exactly the same, but absolutely. And I, you know, I wanted Northampton Town to be brilliantly when I was there. Mm. You just find yourself attached to it. And over time, like I said, when you talk about, you know, is it as draining now as it was, uh, I, I get more and more attached. You know, as the time goes on, and I've seen the highs and lows and the way things have gone badly, it actually gets more important to me. So yeah. I quite like that. You know, if it was, if I've started to not care, I'd hang my boots up, as they say. But <laughs> it's, it's not like that. It's the other way around. Yeah. Absolutely, I want Saints to do well. And when I get excited at a goal, I'm damn well getting excited the same as you are. <laughs> Moving on to talk about some of the people you've worked alongside during your time at St Mary's then. I made it 19 different managers or management teams because there was a few duos in there as well since May 2004. Um, pretty eye-opening start, I thought, bearing in mind yeah. that's only 15 years, Adam, and we had, what was it, um, Ted and uh, Laurie between 1955 and 1985, <laughs> so just the two of them. But, uh, um, Chris Nickel for years. Yeah, well. exactly, yeah. exactly. So I was just going to ask, you know, because I'm sure Saints fans will love to know, but which of those 19 or so Saints managers from Starrick to, to Ralph did you get on best with and were there any that were particularly tricky or frosty to build a successful working relationship with? I'll tell you what is a common factor with a lot of them is that they let you get so close and then they don't really care. <laughs> so, for instance, Kuman was great because he was big enough in the game to say what he wanted to say for a start-off and he had the touch of that nice Dutch arrogance about him where he say something and it didn't matter because he's one of Koeman. Yeah. So that was good from my point of view from the pure radio perspective and a manager saying what he thinks. But then, and he'd be nice to you and I'd get on well with him and interview him four times a week. Do you know what? After every interview, go, okay, I'll walk off. <laughs> never have a conversation with you, never chat to you. His brother was brilliant. I know when I talked to him in the tunnels at games a lot afterwards about what went wrong and so on or what went right and played well. But Ronald was very much that figurehead manager so i enjoyed working with him um for that reason i enjoyed working with mark hughes who was actually very good uh, mm. away from the mic you know sometimes those little bits that you find out between the lines that i can then put out on air on a saturday afternoon help the fans get perspective on things mark was good <laughs> it was fast it was amazing times when we had the likes of harry and jim smith there and dave bassett <laughs> yeah. and the old school gang and having got to know harry at portsmouth and, and then um you know into Southampton back again or you can't forget those those sort of things pardew was good but again mm. wasn't that interested in being sociable mm. uh, afterwards george burley was the same and he would always give what he wanted to say in his first answer so if you ever listen back now None of us will. So a George Burley interview from 2007 after a game, you can guarantee the first answer is about 90 seconds long, and then you have to just come up with your supplements, and by the time he said that, he's ready to go. Yeah. So that was him. Um, you know, Jan Portfleet was a lovely guy, but woefully out of his depth. Yeah. Um, Paul Sturrock I didn't spend a lot of time working with, but again, good old school football man. Mm. Um, and Ralph is right up there because mm. I can challenge Ralph. Sometimes I'll challenge him without the microphone, just so I learn. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of managers will let me do that. For instance, as an example for you, when he kept saying Jan Valerie had a chest infection, and it started to rumble on and rumble on from November all the way to the other week, you know, it got to a point where fans were doubting he was ill, mm. thought he'd either been being a naughty boy or out the squad or whatever. And I remember early January, he just 
to interview him after the press conference, usually, as a separate interview. And I said to him, just between us, I said, what's wrong with Jan? Have you, you know, has he, has he thrown him out of the squad or something? Or you mm. keep saying he's got a chest problem, but what is it? What's really gone on? And he said, no, I just keep calling it that because I don't know the word in English very well. So he said that he's got this bad thing, and every time he tries to breathe a lot, he can't breathe properly, and it hurts his chest. So that's why he hasn't been able to train, and that's why it's a slow problem. Mm. So little things like that, which inform you, and then I can go on there and go, well, actually, he's got this nasty situation where he's struggling to train because he can't run without having problems with his breathing. Yeah. That sort of hopefully quelled all the stuff that I see starting to emanate on social media as it goes through. Mm. So Ralph's good because I can talk about stuff and ask him, why didn't you do that when you do that? Or what was the reason for that? And you just find little things out that you might not want to put him to on air or you might not want to share publicly. Mm. But you know if you find out, at least you can then, like I said, go on the air on a Saturday and say something with confidence to help fans understand something. So I think that's a nice tool to have in your armoury if a manager will do it. Yeah. What about players then, Adam? I mean, obviously you've seen, again, quite a few players during your time, uh, some pretty ordinary ones as well, probably. But uh, um, I I was going to ask, you know, who you've most enjoyed watching and commentating on, but I fear that Sadio is going to be one of them. And I keep thinking about his hat-trick against Aston Villa, but there we go. Well, if you have anything on your list of questions that is about favourite moments, uh, that would be up there, even though it was against Villa. But to commentate on the fastest hat-trick in the Premier League history, of course you're happy you're there. Um, Sadio, of course, was great to watch. If you're on about great to work, with watching talking to finding out yeah the whole package yeah uh, yeah i think probably adam and ricky would be two of the best Mm. you know i got to know adam and his family um and i know he left it slightly acrimonious circumstances but you know there was times where you could go down to the canteen at staplewood even back then which wasn't that long ago grab a coffee while you were down there and chin whack to some of the players maya's always been good to chat to uh, away from, you know, if you just bump into him. Uh, one of the ones that might surprise someone, Ryan Bertrand, always mm-hmm. great, have a quick chat about life or whatever for five minutes, uh, and yet he always looks like he doesn't engage, but yeah. actually, if you just follow him outside the training ground, um, you know, he'll just chat, and he's just nice. So, over the years, I would have Ricky right up there, because he was really just the guy from next door who made it into a big football club. Mm. You know, there was no, there was nothing about Ricky that you, you see that there isn't there. He was just Ricky Lambert, good kid from Liverpool, you know, living the dream, going from Bristol Rovers to Saints and up to the Premier League, loving every minute, playing for England. And you could always have a chinwag and a laugh at him. So Ricky goes right up there um, as far as all-round personalities go. Adam as well, because, and Morgan, you know, Morgan Schneidlin, here's a little story for you. Um, he did something on Twitter. It was just before the November break, wasn't it? When they lost to Everton at home and it was even worse. He'd done something like done something really generous. Yeah. Given up some time or or done something. That's it. Or he'd sent a message to somebody or done something. And I just DM'd him because, funnily enough, a few years ago when I saw him when he was at Man United, I said, Morgan, why are you still following me on Twitter? <laughs> I said, don't you want to do it? And he went, no, you make me laugh, Adam. Don't worry about it. I'm still <laughs> following you. So occasionally we keep in touch. And if you talk about Morgan Schneider as a man uh, and a, a good human being, he's just brilliant. Like Ricky just as he is, and I messaged him to say, nice touch, you know, well done, really nice, hope you're well, mate, like this. He messaged me back, said, yeah, how are you, da, da, da. we ended up having a chat on message, and he's replying, and we're chatting, and I'm thinking, okay, great, and he said, when I come down next month, do you want my shirt? And I went, oh, of course, it would be great, because my boy will have it, I said, it'd be lovely. Didn't push it, didn't ask him again, didn't make a thing of it, we said we might go for a meal after the game, if he was around, a day before the match, he messages me and says, 
uh, hi Adam, sorry I can't go out for dinner because we've, we've got to go back with the manager afterwards, which, which I thought he'd have forgotten about anyway. Mm. And then when the game finished, without me saying anything again about the shirt, he came out from the players' dressing room to where I was doing my tunnel interviews, put his shirt in my pocket and walked off. Yeah. It was nice. It was a remembrance one with a poppy on it. Oh, um, and yeah, and and I just thought, what a guy. Yeah. And yeah. he said, see you soon. See you later in the season. Yeah. And that was it. And you know, so when you think of a guy like that, who you haven't worked with for the best part of a decade, or maybe five, six years, and you know then you're not a bad bloke because they trust you and they, they still treat you nice when you see them. Uh, and then you think, well, they're bloody good guys as well because they've got a million people around them they don't trust with the media mm. and actually quite happy to chat and stuff. So that stuff makes a, a difference to me because if I form a relationship with someone, I'd like to think it would last beyond football. Like if you saw them in the street, you'd actually get on. Completely. And uh, in our last Total Recall then, we were really lucky to have uh, Matty on, who obviously has hundreds and hundreds of goals to choose from when it comes to ranking him, Adam. <laughs> um, I, I guess yeah. to ask the question to you, I mean, you've, again, you will have seen, I, I bet it's probably thousands of goals at one end or the other, but if you had to pick a couple of Saints goals out that will stick with you for sort of whatever reasons, which ones would they be and why? Well, I think I've got to say Shane Long's second leg League Cup winner at Anfield, yeah. because that's the moment most fans talk to me about. Yep. Because I think it was a night where a lot of people must have listened and they all jumped off the sofa as, as mm. he scored and so on. And so I think that was one that I have to put right up there. Totally, yeah. You remember the Fulham game, and I spoke about this in the, when Saints did that recent documentary Same on their 100 goals in the decade. Yeah. My goodness me. That ball from Ricky curling, bending like a, like a quarterback, which was, I don't know what it was. It, I mean, if ever a moment showed Ricky Lambert was more than a big man up front, that yeah. was it. That goal was unbelievable. Uh, another one that stands out, I could talk about uh, Lovren's winner, but I'm not going to the <laughs> Northwest. I could talk, talk about Charlie's header on his, on coming off the bench on his debut at Old Trafford. Uh, but Jan Valery's strike at Old Trafford, beating De Gea like he did with that unbelievable hit, that has to be one of the best goals the club has scored in the last few years. Mm. Um, and so, you know, if I go back to that Fulham one to me, stood out more than most. Funnily enough, it is tough to remember all the ones from League One. Uh, and so on um, but I remember nights like the olden 6-0 mm. I remember the Coventry day being in the area of the stands with the radio mic in the middle of all the players yeah. after the game celebrating the promotion uh, and of course actually the first game at Man City was a really memorable day yeah, yeah. when Ricky and Steve came off the bench um, to score and we all thought they were going to get pummeled and it was like well, actually they're not a bad team here. Yeah, they, you know, they yeah. gave Man City a good go so there are things like that, but the Liverpool 3-2 comeback has to be right up there as well. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and look, I mean, we know how passionate you are on the radio, so I was going to ask if you've ever had any awkward moments where, you know, away from home you've completely lost it when Saints have scored and locals have got a little tetchy with you or anything like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there'll, be other, there'll, be, there'll be some fans who remember, because I got a lot of interaction about it after uh, the night when I almost had a fight with a Stoke fan. <laughs> On that night, Peter Crouch came off the bench and got sent off for Stoke. Do you remember yeah, that? The Saints game, were, that? Yeah. yeah, a cup game and yeah. a midweek night. And I think it's the day me and Dave were late because of the end of yeah. Pellis Gord, yeah. Pellis yeah. yeah. And I'm pretty sure um, Stoke won up and Saints won 2-1. But either way, it got feisty in the last 10 minutes. Crouch came on and lost his head. And um, it's one of those grounds where literally the heads of the fans are against the back of your desk. Their head is the level of my desk and they can hear just about everything. Bloke turned around, flipped the V's at me and I flipped them back. And I think I said it on air, Dave was laughing. And of course fans are going, go on, Adam, get in the hell out of here. 
And I just thought, I'm not having it. You know, I've got a job to do, mate. You can, you can stick it as much as you want to say it to me. You can have it back. So that's how I felt. The guy from Watford wasn't happy last year. In the yeah, that was my next question. Yeah, 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 that yeah. was great. And it's funny that because what I want people younger than me who are learning this business mm. to understand is the moments, like moments in life you remember, it's not all the goals. Mm. And actually, if me and Dave can make you smile along the way, or make it a we corpse and people enjoy it or whatever if we start laughing. When people go, oh, you're not taking it seriously, it's football. Yeah. And actually, my job is to tell you what's going on. But if the ball's being passed around by the Man City back four, 27 times in their own half, do you really want me to describe every pass? Or can we actually <laughs> talk about something else to do with the game? I don't miss the game. I don't yeah. miss a goal. Um, so that one at Watford was great because I literally had two bottles of water in front of me. <laughs> I thought I'd hit the one that was open because I was just gesticulating with my hand and sort of animated talking to Dave. Yeah. Whacked it, thought it was the one with the lid off. It was the full one. <laughs> but of course, it toppled and landed straight on the bloke's head. Yeah. And um, obviously, I said, <laughs> and then, oh, <laughs> and then I said, because I said, and then I thought, oh, no, I'm getting messy. Dave's laughing. And it was just one of those things where uh, where you think, I-, I love that moment, you know. Yeah. So it's just humour, isn't it? I'm just, I know I'm doing the job on the radio, but I'm likely to make as many mistakes as anybody else. Yeah. I always think, uh, not to compare you in any way, but you always think of Henry Bladefell when he does the cricket. I mean, he spends 90% of his time talking about anything but the cricket, doesn't he? Yeah, well, slightly different because you have got more time. And yeah, actually, yeah. when I started working for BBC Hereford and Worcester, the first regular commentary I got was cricket. Mm. Um, and I played cricket. And that taught me that I could actually be okay on air mm. because up to then I'd just been doing reports on rugby, local rugby matches and all the odd bit of football. Hadn't really done any commentary. This was sort of 97. And um, once I sat doing cricket and realised I could actually have a chat to people and be myself, and then they go, oh, that was good, and well done, and anything, okay. So cricket's great for that because... If you haven't got a personality, let me tell you, you'll be found out doing cricket commentary. Because <laughs> if you've got nothing to say, you are in trouble for a seven-hour, 50-over-a-side game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was my next question about the most embarrassing incident and the Watford bottle and the swear and that sort of thing. I mean, is that, is that the most embarrassing or is there anything else you can think of? Yeah. I, I can't really think of any embarrassing moments, particularly. I, I don't easily get embarrassed professionally. No. I'd like to think that's something I've got past. Um, I used to be embarrassed doing interviews when I was new at the job. If, if I was in a group of reporters or doing a group radio interview, mm. I used to find that I'd find that quite intimidating in my first year or two. Um, I got embarrassed by the manager, Dennis Smith, the former oh, yeah. Stoke City player. Yeah. He made an, an arse of me back in 97, maybe, working for BBC WM when he was West Brom manager. And he embarrassed me and was... Uh, horrible to me and he was a friendly and he was he, he was acting you know putting me in my place mm. until about four other people but I learned from that and uh, I also got a goal scorer wrong for about half an hour funnily enough in the Watford press box when I was a rookie working for BBC WM uh, covering Birmingham City and I kept on saying the goal scorer wrong and I learned a very good lesson if you don't know <laughs> ask someone sat next to you yeah. because you're right it used to be embarrassing when I was inexperienced uh, and sitting next to people in a press box who can hear you talking, you've got to get past that. Yeah. So anyone that's listening that wants to be an aspiring broadcaster, you have to get to a point where you're confident that you know what you're talking about. Yeah. That's where all the prep comes in from. That's the same thing I'm talking about with the commentary prep. So, yeah, I don't get embarrassed. Um, Alan Pardew tried to embarrass me one night. I remember Dennis Smith, and it, I've never had to remember it much because I haven't had many fallouts with managers with a microphone pointed at the mouth. Mm. But he, I don't know if you remember this, Ben, they lost to Wickham, I think, 
in a game and followed it up by smashing Huddersfield at St Mary's. Was that the 5-1 game, um, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And I thought, well, this would be easy because after the game, he's going to be in a great mood. <laughs> but he'd had a fallout with Nicola. Right. So he didn't want to speak. And I didn't know that. He was just taking it out on me. <laughs> so you were all getting back in your car to the radio on wanting the reaction. I must have asked him eight questions in a minute and a half or something because he, every answer was three words. Yeah. Because he didn't want to, and I thought, what the hell have I done wrong? Yeah. So actually, then my last question, and that's all I did, rather than be intimidated by him, I just said, is there anything else you'd like to tell the fans <laughs> on their way out of the game about the match? So making the point to him, you can be an ass to me, but it's not me you're talking to. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then he gave me an answer, and I said, thanks. And then I walked off, and I thought, oh, good, I'm glad I did that, well done. It was like yeah. one of those things where I'd remembered the Dennis Smith and how much I'd sort of shriveled <laughs> up. Get your own back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. But just make the point, you know, it's actually, again, I'm a conduit. You're talking to me, but actually, who's listening? Yeah. It's your supporters. Yeah, exactly. So, look, I mean, rapidly moving to the, the here and now, because I could obviously talk to you all evening, but um, what do you kind of make of Saints at the moment, particularly off the pitch? Because, uh, you know, I guess we've all seen the latest 2019 financial yeah. results. I think, you know, there's a mixture of sort of worry and expectation around that. But do you sort of feel from what you hear, what you see, that they're moving in the right direction as a club? Or do you think it's understandable that a lot of fans, you know, are rightly nervous about exactly what the sort of short, medium, long-term strategy is? I think there's a strategy, definitely a strategy, of which Ralph is heavily involved in, and that is short, medium, long term. He's mm. been doing that since last March. Yeah. Okay, before Martin Simmons was officially appointed, they were working together on what, how Ralph wanted the club to go. And that's yeah. one of the reasons everybody should like Ralph, because he's actually doing this, whether he's at the club or not. Mm-hmm. He's trying to put the, the templates in place to make the club run as it should, to create the players, the young players, into the good players the club needs. So I admire them for that. So I do think there's a strategy. Uh, I'm still worried about those figures. Mm. And I'm worried about them simply because, you know, as, as a Saints fan, I would be worried about how we're going to get back to being a club that is challenging the top seven, eight sides. Mm. Because that jump needs investment and it needs um, the club to be selling. I mean, some people aren't going to want to hear this, but you know as well as I do, and they've said it honestly, self-sustaining part of that is making money on players now at the moment i don't know how they're going to do that and reinvest enough to make them a better team Mm. so that is my one worry and it's obviously hugely hampered by the five players out on loan Mm. senior players i you know i do know that for instance i'm told honestly that the vast majority of those loan wages are being paid by the clubs who are loaning the players the european market for loans is very strong so that helps of course the european market for selling players who've been on premier league wages is very bad so if the club had sold three of those five that 39 million pound gross loss would look a lot better so it's not like the club haven't got the ability to wipe that debt out if they can sell those players and they are assets at the end of the day. So if they do that, and then they can reinvest in the players that Ralph wants, there's no reason why they can't get better. But, you know, every time we get our hopes up this season, we then see why they are where they are. Mm. There's an inconsistency about them. And the last month, after a great January, none of us saw, I didn't see them getting these few points from nice run of matches. So currently in, and I really thought they'd win three of the six that were originally scheduled up to the Arsenal game, from mm. Burnley to Arsenal. I thought nine points, 40 points. Okay, then you know, they might be close to Wolves, close to Spurs. You know, they can really enjoy the rest of the season and push. Now, of course, if they get 
beyond mid-table mediocrity, it'll be a shock and they'll have to have a hell of a run. Mm. Um, I don't think the timing, the two, the shame for me is that just as Redmond and Armstrong became lethal at what they were doing, yeah. one got injured first, the other one, Nathan's then had a longer-term injury, Armstrong's had a hip injury, they've lost both of them at times, uh, and just as they were brilliant at Palace when they went 2-0, those two were terrific. Not only the goals, but just the, you could see everything Ralph was trying to do mm. was coming to fruition. The confidence, the movement, everything about it. So, look, it is what it is. I'm not worried about the club's financial status, but I am. I know that there needs to be investment. And you've got a Chinese owner who bought the club not long before the Chinese government said no external money into sport and entertainment to other countries. So I've heard nothing bad about Mr. Gao personally from talking to people around the club, high levels who deal with him. Nice guy, wants the club to do well, very enthusiastic, yeah. We don't hear from him. Mm. Can he invest in the club? Maybe he would. And I think there's a chance he would if he could. So, you know, if he can't get his money, he's not allowed to take money out of China and put it into a foreign football team. The next question for everybody else is, well, why have it? Yeah. Or, or what, what can we find a better owner? You can put money in. Yeah. I know when you've run the fans forums, you've been absolutely spot on in what you said, which is not many clubs you don't hear from their owners ever, etc., etc. I know one of little Adam's frustrations was that he never really got the opportunity to speak to Mr. Gow. And, you know, assuming you haven't been offered the chance and or would necessarily want to, obviously Mr. Kruger was his uh, sort of initial mouthpiece. It's now obviously Martin doing that job. But do you think you'll ever get the chance to sort of speak to Mr. Gow and hear what he wants from Saints? Or do you think anyone will? I'm not sure I will. To be honest, um, I'm not sure he wants to. There are people running the club, as you said. He ultimately employs them to do that, so they think for the club. And I've met Nelly, mm-hmm. his daughter, who was lovely, and chatted to her a bit. Uh, her English is okay. I think his is probably worse. So, a bit like interviewing Poch when he first gets here. How much of what you're trying to get, say, in a nuanced way comes across, and how much does, does the answer come back as you want it? And, and I always remember Poch saying to me, Adam, I can give you a rubbish answer in English, which won't really share a lot, or I can say what I really think in Spanish and have it translated, which is what he did. Yeah. And I, I get that. You know, it, it, it's what you want to say is hard in a second language. Ralph does brilliantly with it. But I'm not sure how much I would get out of Mr. Gow, but certainly a written interview even with questions which then he answers might be even better. Mm. But will he ever? I don't know. No. Kind of both those questions lead on to what I'm going to ask you around. I think a lot of fans, myself included, probably feel the squad has needed the overhaul for what a couple of years or so now. And mm-hmm. as, as we were just chatting before we started, you know, dreadful recruitment by some no longer with the club is having to be undone by the guys that are currently in the club. And you know, I know Toby was talking about the Hoyts and Laminas and Creos being out on loan mm-hmm. and them their sort of marketable value. But I guess coronavirus aside, Adam, you know, the concern for Saints fans is that the overhaul we've needed for two years probably won't happen this summer because of the figures and the fact we still need to sell players. And therefore, you know, whatever happens with when the season starts again or the new season, you kind of worry that Saints are going to be fighting relegation again. Yeah, I don't know if they'll go backwards as a squad. And actually, those five players are interesting because in the middle of that interview with Toby Steele about the figures, there was a little phrase of his which went, if we wanted to sell those players, and we don't, mm. he's, he dropped in. And I thought, don't you? I, I would. <laughs> so uh, sort of, uh, afterwards, I listened back to it, and I thought, well, what did he mean by that? And it mm. suddenly occurred to me, for instance, maybe they would integrate one or two of those players back into the squad. Maybe they would sell other players to do that. Now, that would be a bit what been Peter to pay Paul, let's be honest. So, again, could they go forwards? If, if Lamina could be the player, we all know he can be 90 minutes every game, you wouldn't worry about selling Hoybier to you know, a, a top four club for 50 million quid. Mm. 
because Lamina, when he wants to be a player, is a heck of a player. Mm. Um, dynamic, strong, um, not as disciplined as Pierre, not great passing, but if you wanted someone to disrupt a game, he's, he's excellent. Mm. So there's play for that. I don't know, have any of them got any better since they've been away? You know, I mean, Cedric won't come back, he's out of contract, Meyer's gone. Yeah. So there is a change needed. And I'm just saying, you never know, you know, maybe Fraser, maybe one or two of those players might come back into the squad to save money in that area to spend in another. But does it mean that the squad will be any better? I'm not sure. And like I said, ultimately, it's about great recruitment for this club now. The recruitment has to be right, along with some investment would be great. But if the club are going to be genuinely self-sustaining, the youth system has to produce more Mm. and the club has to nurture talent recruit brilliantly like a Sadio. I'm not going to, everyone always quotes the Virgil thing. That was just a freak one-off. But if you could get a Sadio for 10 million uh, and sell him for 30, and you could do that with one player every two years or one every year, probably that would make a a difference. Mm. So it's just that consistency for me. Finding the young talent. Ralph wants to play the young players. You know, I asked him if it was a mistake, again, off the record, putting Smallbone into the team at West Ham Mm. after his debut against Villa because I thought he didn't have a, a strongest game and it was, you know, hard for a young man to turn it on two weeks in a row. Um, and he could have played Walt Prowse and Walker Peters at right back. And of course, he said, well, I wanted to see what he could do away from home. You know, it's interesting. We, we think differently to how he's thinking. He's probably thinking, well, we're going to be mid-table anyway, so I might as well have a go and see what he's got. Mm. But of course, if you lose the game, it doesn't count for anything, does it, to everyone else? <laughs> no. Um, and look, I mean, obviously, you mentioned Ralph in terms of you know the template that he's trying to put at the club, we know that he buys mm. into the young players, and that's obviously something that he's helping to develop. But in terms of you know the senior squad and his long-term desire to, to remain at St Mary's, Adam, because he's obviously clearly ambitious, we know that he wants to make a name for himself. How do you think all of this, you know, the results and the what might or might not happen, sort of impacts his maybe longer-term future? I think. Well, okay, so is a top six club going to give him the job? Not at that's the moment, my first really. question. Probably not at the moment, based on this season. So almost, he needs to deliver at Saints more than he is now because that's what he wants, Mm. to achieve more, to give himself that chance to go on. And if he did that, you'd all be happy that he's done that because he's achieved more and gone on with everyone's blessing. I think he's happy with the challenge. I think he likes the the challenge. He loves the club and the setup. There's no doubt about that. He loves the fact that he is a pivotal figure not surrounded by people who, you know, he gets a say. He gets a big say in everything. Mm. And that's important. And that's more old style. You know, manager overseeing what's going on. And he, he's the most important man of the club. He's how I see it on the playing side rather than the director of football, rather than somebody else. You know, what he is setting, what he wants for all those teams underneath, for everything like that. He is the central, the, the, the hub at the, at the middle of it. And that's great. For, for me because that's the only way to get direction if everyone buys into one thing yeah. rather than self-interest dictating everything so I like the fact that he's got that and he's not about self-interest yes he wants to do well I'm sure he's ambitious but uh, I'm not worried short term about Ralph disappearing unless something happens you know promises he had and not kept or whatever mm. you just don't know it at the end of the day so I think while he's there that's good for the club's development on the playing side of things. And uh, they've certainly got an identity back in mm. both matches, Ben, and that's something we were desperately missing after Absolutely. Ronald Koeman, yeah. after Claude, unfortunately, ripped the identity apart. 
with his change of style. And at least for a few months this season, say between December <laughs> and the end of Jan, we've, we've seen a team with real identity. <laughs> yeah, yeah? And yeah. best football we've seen for, for a long time. Agreed. So we, we hope the season finishes strongly. We hope we have a season. We hope it gets back and everyone stays healthy. And after all that, we can enjoy our football. Then we'll all be happy completely and just last couple of questions based probably on what you just sort of said there Adam I mean from so just to give people an idea when they're listening we're recording this a, a couple of days after the the proposed Norwich game so I think we're expecting a Premier League update later on in the week but from mm. you know your own view Adam and what you're hearing I mean what what do you think is going to happen with the Premier League season in terms of continued postponement and or you know I can't imagine it's going to be voided but I guess there's a lot of uncertainty yeah. around there is obviously it's it's almost a moving feast so it's very hard to look too far ahead because actually what we almost need is for someone if you wanted certainty the only way to get that is for someone to go right that's it now in June nothing's going to change whatever happens we're all staying in lockdown whatever we need to do what we've got at the moment is we don't quite know because they haven't all had their meetings and it's a changing scenario medically so it's not one that sounds like it's getting healthier Mm. the Euros now being scrapped has been done to give the domestic leagues a chance to finish their seasons so actually we could be May and June uh, finishing the football season off. I honestly would be surprised if it's much before that. And I yeah. think most people would, based on what we're being told at the moment. Uh, I would rather that than play behind closed doors. And I'd rather that than void the season. Mm. And then for me, all I would try and do as the football authorities is to stagger everything after that. Yeah. You know, so, okay, have a pre-season in August. Frankly, I think the season was starting in August anyway, because when I was growing up, it started in September when the kids went back to school and we got on with it. But, you know, if we have to start the season in September, October, then stagger it for the year after and slowly, maybe two or three years, come back to August to May. I think that is a workaround that, for me, has a chance. I think you can't go from delaying this season by two or three months and then Mm. expect to carry on straight away from normal. It's just going to be too weird. And the yeah. player contracts thing will be interesting. Imagine yeah, players well. moving on July the 1st to another club and playing against the Yeah, we'll Yeah, but yeah. I think a delay in the season. The Euros are scrapping. UEFA have done well to push that back a year. And I think uh, we now need the Premier League meeting this week to obviously say, well, this is what we hope to do. Uh, but who knows? Who knows? We just keep our fingers crossed that exactly. uh, we get our football back and that as few people as suffer as possible. No, absolutely. And yeah, I think the only downside, as we were briefly discussing it before we started, is potentially Danny will miss his opportunity. But as, as I said to someone no, earlier, no, as long no. as he bangs in 15 goals next season, he should be fine. <laughs> but, uh, um, That's right. Perhaps 10 of between now and the end of this season. <laughs> yeah, yeah, completely. Um, just briefly then, just sort of penultimate question. How, how's it impacting you, Adam? I mean, obviously, sports editor, your radio station, Radio Zone, which is, does brilliant work, thrives on sport. There isn't any sport. So mm-hmm. what are you guys kind of doing to get through it, keep busy, etc., etc.? Because I imagine it's hard work. Uh, it is different. It's certainly more about, much more about journalism and less about live sport, obviously. Yeah. Last Saturday, the first weekend, we were lucky because we had three National League matches which yeah. really helped us. Um, and they were right across our patch. We had Weymouth, Eastley and Havant. I mean, it, it was almost written beautifully for yeah. us to at least give the region some live football. So we were lucky then. This week, it's been about getting updates from clubs, trying to get interviews with people like Danny Ings, who mm-hmm. isn't available yet. But obviously, I want to talk to him about that. And uh, Andy Moore's doing the same with Pompey, and we're doing the same with Bournemouth. So we're waiting to see, see when they will talk, obviously, to tell us how it is. And I want to know what it's been like for players and what the players would like to see happen. Yeah. We've really heard from many players on, on, on that. So I don't think we'll have any Karen Brady moments from our club. But I think um, it's that. 
it's finding out the stories, the human stories that come along with it. And, you know, you know, there are people trying to get in the Olympics who, you know, will have their training possibly disrupted or don't know what's going to happen, even though they're fairly confident still the Olympics will go ahead at the moment with Japanese organisers. So we've got things like that going on. We're still waiting for the cricket authorities to decide what's going to happen with the cricket season. So it's about talking to people uh, around our patch. We're meeting in the mornings at the moment as a team, whoever's in, trying to update people. Because it is still at the moment. This week, it's very busy with all the things unfolding still. Mm. I'm worried about, say, a week or two's time when we know we've got a two-month lockdown. We know what's going on and what is there to say until it resumes. You know, once you've got past it, we're going to do this, we're going to have a month off, come back, train, whatever. Once we've got that, there could be a period of real stagnation. And then I think it's up to us and people like you and us to involve ourselves with each other's sporting <laughs> thoughts and lives, get on the radio on a Saturday afternoon, like I'll be doing this week, and trying to get people on the radio and just talking about football and sport. Yeah. Because there's lots, we could discuss what's happened this season. We could talk like we are about what should happen at clubs, what needs to happen, what we think of players, the bad signings, the good ones of the season so far. Mm. There are a lot of things still to do. And thankfully, there's music to be played as well, which will help fill the holes. We started writing down ideas for people to join in and have some fun with. You know, yeah. for, you know, for instance, you can't be at the match you want to be this week, but if you could be at one match from the past, which one would it be? Yeah, yeah. So we can do you know, lots of subjects like that. I do hear them on TalkSport, like on else, and certain things. But I'd like to think we could come up with something about our teams that would be a bit of fun and get people to join in even on social media and then we can put it out on the radio and keep across, obviously, what people are doing to stay safe uh, in the sporting area. So there's all that. But yes, not fun. And actually, my job as part of the management team at the moment is as important as being the sports editor, trying to make sure we're all safe in in the BBC environment, providing the information for everybody getting the updates on coronavirus, trying to everyone to, to rally around when people are sick and so on and try and keep the station on the air. That's yeah. the biggest challenge in the next month or two. I could be doing anything, reading the weather, thinking <laughs> dry time, who knows? But it doesn't really matter as long as we can keep the service going. Last question then, Adam. Let's, let's end on a high. So um, when the time comes or the time came and you sat down with the grandchildren and you're telling them about your stint as Radio Solent Sports Editor following Saints up and down the country, what one or two highlights will give you the, the greatest satisfaction to share with them? So obviously we've spoken about Shane Long's goal, but is there a couple of moments, whether it was in the San Siro or whatever, that will just stick with you forever? Yeah, I think there are, there are moments so far for me. I'm, I'm, I'm lucky enough. Uh, there are different ones as well, not just from Saints. Uh, there are lots of those moments in the last few years. And like I say, any win at Anfield and Old Trafford, as, you know, even as a Villa fan, I just love more. So that always means a lot, <laughs> lot to us. Wembley finals, obviously, mm. during them has always been great. The European trips to, to Israel was brilliant. I mean, that was a fascinating trip. You know, meet Kevin and Dave, never forget that. That was so interesting. Um, being in the San Siro was something very special, mm. and I love that. I've had other ones I've been lucky enough uh, because of the other Saints success in my previous job doing European Cup rugby and commentating on the team winning it because Northampton yeah. Saints doing it so they following that run and being going to Ireland and going to Toulouse to commentate and getting thrown out the ground the day before the game by the head coach who thought I was spying <laughs> so we've got all those things like that Toulouse and Biarritz and places all that stuff I'll keep all my grandchildren with although they're already bored of me so it's <laughs> I mean, it's, it's the one thing about the job, actually, when you've got sons and grandsons, you know, having that football bond is a really nice thing. But, yeah, um, yeah lots of good memories and um, some of the funny moments as well, you know, not just the personal things that you enjoy. So, yeah, lots of them. And uh, I hope there's many more.
Ben to come, to be honest. Fingers crossed, That's eh? the main thing, that they keep coming. Otherwise, life's slowing down. I don't <laughs> want that. No, absolutely. <laughs> but, uh, no, look, I mean, it's been an absolute pleasure, Adam. I know I've taken an hour of your time, so I really appreciate it. I could, I could genuinely speak to you all night, but thanks again for joining me on this episode of Total Saints Podcast. And I think also, you know, just uh, I've written down here for the, the news, commitment, passion and enjoyment you bring all of us week in, week out. And because I, I'm sure many people tell you at, at St Mary's and when they see you in the petrol station or whatever, but local radio is so important to all of us. And just for all the work that you and your team do, thank you very much. No, look, it, look, thank you. It's always very humbling. I always think we're not good enough. And we'll always try and do everything better, I promise you. And thank you uh, to you for your time. And also, uh, good for you for having an independent voice and following the club like you do and giving people some really good informed discussion on it. Well done, you. Brilliant. That's been Total Recall with BBC Radio Salient Sports Editor Adam Blackmore. Well, there we go. I hope you enjoyed that. A big thanks again to Adam Blackmore for coming on to the podcast this week. Some really, really good insight there from Adam, someone who's very, very close to Saints. Anyway, as I said at the start of the podcast, wherever you are in the world, I hope you're keeping safe and well. I really appreciate you listening to this episode. We'll be back again next week when we'll have former Saints goalkeeper Eric Martin on Total Recall with myself and Leon Burton from Saints Archive. Until then, have a good week and keep marching in. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout. Because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.